You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Heckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Danny Hadas. He is founder and CEO of the Emovation Project. We're going to learn a little bit about his background and the work that he does with leaders and organizations. This is going to be an interesting one. I think one of the hot topics for us when we talk about service-based businesses is how do we find the right talent? How do we engage the right talent? How do we make sure that we're leveraging the people's best qualities and skills and experiences to drive value, not only for the organization, but for our clients and customers? So it's going to be a conversation. I always find that everyone has kind of a different take on this engagement question. Each one is interesting. It keeps adding to my knowledge and I think to the knowledge of the listeners here. So I'm excited to have that. With that, Danny, welcome to the program. Bruce, thanks for having me. So appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your audience. Yeah. So let, before we kind of dig into the details of employee engagement, how do we make sure that we've we've got the right people doing the right things, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into this topic? What was your experience? What was the journey that you've been on? Okay. So how did I get into the topic, the experience I've had, the journey I've been on to start the Emovation Project? All right. Well, it starts back... In 2008, when I got into consulting and I started my consulting journey with Accenture, which today stands as, and back then too, stands as the largest consulting company in the world. And I really had the opportunity to learn about the wonderful world of consulting during my first five years with them and had many experiences as an employee of a large consulting firm and got to see the experiences of other employees for the clients that we worked with. When I was there, I had really the two, well, I guess really three marquee experiences I had with AstraZeneca, Disney, and um, and Mattel or American Girl. Mm-hmm. And so those those were really career defining. Yeah. So those experiences, those employee experiences I had stayed with me, as did the experiences I saw of other employees. And then I moved to a smaller firm and got really interested in customer experience and the world of customer experience. And from there, after two and a half years there, I went to an even smaller firm whose only focus was customer experience. And there I got to lead enormous tremendous projects that were tens of millions of dollars in customer experience transformation. These were never before seen types of engagements. And I got to lead them. I got to lead them. So, you know, before the age of 30, I was leading these insane 21 work stream customer experience transformation programs that were all about creating really inspiring, connected, loyalty building experiences for customers. But this is the kicker. What I found and this is, you know, we were we were working with our client in one of their satellite locations, and we were creating, co-creating with their employees these wonderful experiences, magical experiences for the customers. And one guy turns around and says, "Yeah, I'm not doing this." And we were in an urban area, and he had a bit of an accent. <laughs> I love doing accents. So I, yeah. He goes, "Yeah, I'm not doing this." I said, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, "Well, you see, you're asking me to treat these people, you know, really well. I don't get treated half as well by my team, by my leaders, as Damn. you're asking me to put towards the customers. So I'm yeah. not doing this, and I bet that other people aren't going to do this either." Wow. And you know, the sad part is, this is the part that really kills me. We promised 
wholesale transformation for this company. And what we learned is we really couldn't deliver because we weren't equipped to handle the number one thing that stands between a company's you know, ambitions of profits and magical customer experiences. The number one thing that they have to take care of first is employees. And that's what led to me creating the Emovation Project, which exists solely to create the world's greatest workplaces. And that's that's just a quick quick background on how I got to where I am and why I'm doing what I'm doing, because I'm so clear that for all of us to get where we want to go in the business world, we've got to take care of the people, take care of our business, and those are our employees. And when we forget about them, we marginalize them, when we, we focus so much on the numbers, we don't empower our people to perform. And when they don't perform, the business doesn't perform. And the business doesn't perform, we don't get profits. Yeah. It's really simple. People power performance, and that's why the Emovation Project exists, to empower businesses, empowering their people's performance. Yeah, and I love that redirective. It's like, hey, we're, we're trying to figure out how to improve the customer experience. Well, the way you improve your customer experience is you improve your employee experience and they'll take care of every customer. Nice kind of realization or kind of a, a epiphany there that, that you had. Yeah, thank you. And it's not rocket science, but it is something yeah. we so often forget. So, sometimes things are obvious in retrospect. <laughs> you know? Right? Yeah. yeah. And so this kind of epiphany or this realization that it's the, you know, if we treat our employees really well, that will mean our customers have great experiences. But how do we treat our employees well? Like it's, you know, I think the conceptually it's, it's easy to understand or it's like, I get it. But then what does that actually mean? Like, how do you go about figuring out how do you treat employees better? Like, what is the process? What's the strategy? What's the tool that you use? Yeah, well, let me start, let me start by addressing what it's not. Because this is really the eye-opening thing. What it's, and this is what so many of us are doing today. What it's not is a brand new redesigned office that costs millions of dollars. It's not ping pong tables. It's not free snacks and happy hours and refrigerators full of beer or whatever else people want to drink. It's none of that. It's not an office barista at everyone's beck and call. It's not that. It's none of those things. And it can be any one of those things. But the tool we use, the Emovation Project, and what I'm doing with businesses, with clients, is getting them to first determine the foundation for the employee experience. And if you think about us as people, every second of every day we're feeling and not only are we feeling emotions, but every second of every day, we're leaving other people in a wake of emotions we've created for them to feel. Mm. You wink at somebody, you look at somebody, you IM somebody, you talk to somebody, you email somebody, you shake someone's hand, or you walk past someone and don't look at them. You're constantly leaving a wake of emotions for the people around you. So what we do at the Emovation Project, is we set a foundation. We ask the question, how do you want your people to feel every day they come to work. How do you want them to feel? That could be inspired. It could be connected. It could be empowered. It could be valued. It could be validated. It could be seen, heard, important, special, valued. Whatever emotion it is that you want them to feel that would be in service of them as human beings, how do you want them to feel? That's the first question to ask and answer. The next question is, what will you do to have them feel that way? Distinct from, what would make a really great employee experience? What would be so cool? Wouldn't it be so cool if we had a ping pong table? Well, it might, but how would that make people feel? <laughs> yeah. You know, it, when you figure out the foundation, that first question, it's, well, if I want someone to feel inspired, what will I do to have them feel inspired? If I want someone to feel empowered, what would I do to have them feel empowered? And that is a very distinct way of creating experiences and crafting experiences that doesn't happen frequently today. There are people who do this already, but more often than not, you know, traditional problem solving says, what's the problem? Okay, let me come up with the 10,000 solutions to get to that problem resolved. But net, where do we ever say, well, how are we going to leave people feeling? I mean, they're going to feel something anyway. They always will. That you and I are talking right now, you're feeling something. I don't know what it is. Feel free to say. I'm excited right now. I love talking about this. That's how I feel. But I want to know how, you know, my, yeah. the way I, my business is, how am I making you feel? And what do I want you to feel? And that's the opportunity for businesses with the employee experience. How do they want their people to feel? And what can they do to have them feel that way? If you let that context, that 
context-rooted emotions guide your behaviors, you'll get to things that will deliver the kind of experiences people need to perform. And it may be a redesigned office, and it may not. But I certainly would never jump to that kind of thing without first determining what it is I want people to feel. That's the step. That's the crux of the, the methodology we use at the Emovation Project. And that methodology itself is called Emovation, innovation powered by emotions. I love it. I'm going to make a, a connection, and it may be a, a reach here a little bit. But as you're talking right. about this, so I, I started life, I started my professional life as an architect. And, and one of the things I learned in architecture is the, the thing that drives or one way to approach architecture anyway, is the thing that drives your design is what we call our program, right? Well, what are you going to do in this space? And there's always this kind of question of, well, you know, you can have a building that's going to be a hospital, you can have a building that's going to be a haunted house. You know, they're both buildings, but they have, you know, dramatically different programs. And without understanding the program, it's really difficult to then design a solution for it. And I love this idea that you're kind of putting out there, where it's like, well, what is the experience you want to create? You know, it's, let's start with that. And then we can start thinking about different strategies, different techniques, different modes by which you could invoke that experience, you know, enable that experience. And, and I think so much time people are looking at the strategy. It's like, oh, I'm going to put a ping pong table in, or I'm going to do these happy hours, or I'm going to buy everyone lunch, or I'm going to, you know, there's all these kind of one-off techniques without really understanding, well, what's the program? What's the intent? What's the strategy here for what experience, what emotion you want to create? And once you figure out that, then then a lot of these may be really bad ideas. <laughs> yeah. You nailed it. You nailed it, Bruce. You nailed it. And I love the architectural reference. My father's an architect, so that's near and dear story you just shared. And you, you nailed it. That's precisely what I'm after. You know, nail down the strategy so that your actions can execute on that strategy, deliver that strategy. You don't have to waste time with all this other nonsense. Yeah, gambits. They're all just little moves you can make, which may or may not, in fact, are probably not going to work. Most of them are not going to work if you haven't figured out your strategy because, you know, so many of them are for particular outcomes. And if you haven't, figure out what your outcome is going to be. It's you're just you're just shooting in the dark. Yes, and my favorite and I, I hate to pick on open office designs, but I have to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, after a couple of years after that was all the rage. Uh, you know, I figured maybe it was 2018 or so. Research was published very very um well now it's referenced all over the place, but research was published that those kinds of designs actually decrease social interactions among and collaboration amongst employees by 70%. Because you know, everyone and, puts on headphones <laughs> trying yeah, to find everyone, quiet time. <laughs> Right. Everyone puts on headphones and everyone's yeah. trying to type to each other. And they're also trying to get to the office early so they can find their spot. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it's not it's not like a, you know, so it was just interesting. It's Lord that, of the Flies at that point. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that is, you nailed it. That is exactly what the methodology intends to do. And um, I've, te I've tested it, you know, yeah. since uh, I'm testing it. And it's, it's really, it's quite eye-opening. And there's another... There's another layer of it mm -hmm. that I've recently I've recently discovered that actually starts the conversation. And that's that you and I as people, and just about anyone listening to this, we're very focused on the experience we have as people. You know, how is work going for us? And how is my salary? And how are my benefits? And how is, you know, how is my team responding to me? And that's all about the experience we have. And if you imagine for a moment, X and Y axis, a really simple chart. And on the Y axis is the experience I have. And the x-axis is the experience I deliver. What I've what I've determined, what I've seen, is that those two things are directly related. We don't ever see it that way. We're so focused on the experience that we have that we fail to see that the only way to elevate, you know, so if you think about that chart, mm -hmm. where people want to live is all the way up on the y-axis, where the experience they have is incredible, right? Mm -hmm. That's zero to ten. So you want to be at a ten. The only way to get to a ten, though, is not to focus on the experience that we have, because when I focus on the experience I have, I don't actually take any action out in the world for other people. Yeah. But it's when I focus on the experience I deliver. So if I want a ten, I need to deliver a ten. 
And it's the same thing with businesses. If they want to have their employees produce a 10 experience, you know, if business leaders want to have the experience that their people are producing a 10, well, they need to deliver to them first a 10. They're directly and positively related. I deliver a 10, I have a 10. And in that delivery, that's where all the nuance, because it's not like you're guaranteed. A lot of us will deliver an experience to somebody else and we'll think it's all that in a bag of potato chips because we said so. We don't recognize that we're still delivering to another person. The only evaluation that matters is what they have to say about the experience that you just delivered. And just because you delivered something fantastic doesn't mean that the other person found it to be fantastic. Interesting space here. It's always kind of the question for me of people don't, uh, it's what they feel or what they experience, not what you do. And it happens in so many things, kind of communicating and everything. It's not what you say, it's what they hear. <laughs> and those right. can be, those can be very different. You know, it's kind of, it's like, it's always kind of the fundamental question I ask around when we have communication problems and people say, well, I told them to do this stuff, but I'm like, well, but what did they hear? (laughs) And and that's a, that's a complicated question because it's like not, it's not just the words that you say, but it's the tone that you use, the body language, the context they were in, all the other things that are going on for them. And that is a really big shift. I think that's a, that, and it's not an easy shift to make of going kind of from this self-centered self view of what's going on to being the other view of what's going on. What are some tools or what are some ways that you can help leaders kind of figure out, understand better, develop better insights around what that means for their people, what it means, how your people are going to interpret these things, or what would drive that kind of experience for them as opposed to what you want or what you think it should be? Yeah, and this is, it's, so funny you, it's so funny you ask, and it's really so simple, too. The only thing to do is to ask them. Any, any experience you want to deliver, you can spend all day in your head trying to do what you think people want. Mm-hmm. Or you can just ask them, what do you want? And that's the first step of the methodology, which is to assess the situation in the workplace. How are people feeling today and why? So you can actually understand what people are dealing with. What is it they're feeling? Why are they feeling that way? And it doesn't matter what doesn't matter the aspect of the employee journey. You know, it could be how do you feel about the, your onboarding experience? How do you feel about your first 90 days here? How do you feel about our weekly stand-up meetings? How do you feel about our performance evaluation process? How do you feel about our salary review? Whatever it is. You know, how do you feel about our training development offerings? Whatever it might be, you can find out the situation by simply asking, how do you feel about this and why? And you can use you can use any of the standard tools out there. You can use the NPS. I'm personally a fan of one-on-one conversations. Mm-hmm. One of the first tools we got at Accenture was called the 30-30. Every 30 days, you schedule 30 minutes with your direct manager or your direct reports, and you just do that. And so mm-hmm. if you're someone with 30 direct reports, well, you're having a 30-minute meeting every single day. And where I stand is, if you don't have that kind of time for people, are you really <laughs> well, a that's a different issue, yeah. Yeah, are you, are you <laughs> really a leader or are you just someone who has authority, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's the first step. But then then when you get further into methodology, it's okay. Well, we know how people are feeling today and why. That's the situation. Then you establish that foundation. How do I want people to feel? And then when it comes to generating ideas, that's the third step of the methodology generation. This is where you actually you can actually include employees in that process. And the example yeah. is: imagine that a company wanted to innovate its performance evaluation process, and they found out that you know in situation they found out people were feeling a certain way and why they're feeling that way. And like, okay, this is how it's been going. Great, it's not what we really want for people, but it's, this is how it's been going. So now they know. And then they go into foundation. They say, all right, well, let's say we want people to feel prepared, informed, and empowered during, during performance evaluations. You know, prepared to have the conversation, prepared mm-hmm. with how they've been doing. We want them to feel informed to the point where they have no further questions. You know, they're in the conversation for 30 minutes to 60 minutes. They leave. They fully know and understand why they got the performance reviews they received and what's coming. And they're empowered to make a difference in their performance so that they feel comfortable and set up for success with their career growth. Like those would be pretty great ways to feel coming out of a performance evaluation, wouldn't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So now, so that's, that's just there. You did situation and foundation. Now when it comes to the next step of the methodology generation, what we, what we advocate is this thing 
called innovation sweeps where you can open up what to do, how to make people feel the way you intend to the entire organization. So you could quite literally set up a, you know, a, a way for people to respond to the prompt of, hey, we want you to feel empowered, informed, and uh, prepared during performance evaluations. What do you say it'll take to have you feel that way? And let people provide their input and then actually take their ideas and put them in practice, the ones that, you know, that would work. You can even, mm-hmm. once you do the first round of people providing ideas, you can actually people vote on ideas. That's one way. That's one way to make it work. I've seen companies have their employees vote on expansion. The CEO of a company I really admire was looking to expand. And in a semi-annual meeting, he asked all his employees right there to do a live poll, say, all right, we want to expand. Do you think we should? And what information do you think we need to know if we do expand? And everyone participated right there and then. And they they were going to do whatever the employee said. (laughs) Yeah. And how do you... I mean, how do you deal with the case where you ask that question, you create that opportunity, and and employees either don't know or it's not super clear? Like it's just it's foggy and vague. Like I just I feel like I mean I, I came out of user experience design, and and one yeah. of the things we always found was like you you can't sit down and say okay, well tell us tell us what you want to see on the screen. It's like yeah, people don't know, right? I mean they do they do much better at looking at options, saying, well, do you like A or B better? And then you can kind of ask why, and you can kind of get into some underlying reasons to it. But you kind of need that stimulus, that prompt for them to be able to react to something. I guess, how do you deal with a situation where you're not getting you know, super clear, actionable feedback from employees around how they might want to, the things you could do to help them feel empowered or help them feel in control? Yeah. And so that's, that's a really great question. And, you know, full, I believe in full transparency. So part of that is me telling you, I actually haven't dealt with that yet. Yeah. I haven't seen that happen yet. And that's because I find that people in companies, when they're put through something, like especially something as um, controversial as polarizing as a performance appraisal process, yeah. people always have opinions. And <laughs> yeah. let's let's take the case that yeah. you didn't get a lot of feedback or you know people didn't have something to say or that maybe they were afraid to say. Well, yeah, that might be more the case. Right. So in those cases, if whatever it might be, if I didn't get the feedback I needed to move forward, you know, I'd actually share what that was like. It's like, hey, you know, we put this out to you guys and we haven't gotten information that we feel is useful yet. So here are some of the things we're going to test out and we are going to test them. Mm-hmm. And we're going to ask you how it is for you when we put these things into practice. You know, so if people don't take the opportunity to provide and share, then you bring that back in house, you rein it in with a smaller group of people to create something new based on how you want people to feel. Again, that's always the guidepost. Hey, we still want people to feel prepared informed and empowered. Now, we didn't get any suggestions on those, but we can still come up with something and you test them. That's the really cool thing about the methodology. You start with situation, you move on to foundation to create your foundation of emotions. You generate ideas, ideally with with a larger group of people to create an inclusion. Mm -hmm. And then you activate your ideas. And then you go right back into situation. Once you activate the ideas you came up with, you got to see how they're actually landing for people. And that's the same. You go right back to situation, which is, all right, how are you feeling when it comes to performance appraisals? Why are you feeling that way? And over time, what you'll find is the more you focus on how you want people to feel, the more they're going to report that they're actually feeling that way. Yeah, well, and I love the whole continuous improvement kind of philosophy around it. You know, it's like you do something, you know, collect some data, come up with an idea, implement that idea, collect some data, <laughs> come up with a new idea, decide what you're going to change. I mean, I, I think this sort of evolutionary approach is how most great things ultimately get developed is through a little bit of idea, a little bit of trial and error and feedback will evolve it to where it needs to be. Yeah, and can you really imagine being any other way? I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, that's like, you know, we're, we're constantly, our tastes, this is like economics 101, our tastes are constantly changing. Case, yeah. beliefs, and values are always changing. So an employee experience can never go stale. It always has to be looked at. And where a lot of companies falter is they just don't look at it or they don't look at it properly. A hundred question questionnaire on employee engagement 
often leads to some people in a boardroom saying, all right, what do we do with this? I don't know. There's a lot of data. Let's just take another test the next, let's do another survey 12 months from now. You know, like it's got to be, in my opinion, it's got to be a little more like guerrilla warfare, (laughs) guerrilla innovation than some behemoth because behemoths are hard to move. And it's, you know, there's a lot of this, you know, a lot of my background comes from Agile. And when I was working with Accenture, it was a lot of technology work. And we would do Agile Scrum projects and we would have a backlog of things and we would put it in place. We'd build it, test it, see how it works out and change it if we needed to. And this is no different. And I think when it comes to the environment in which we work, the thing that really works is when we are adaptable, flexible, and willing to make the changes that empower our people so they can perform. And that's the number one thing, Bruce. Anyone who leads any company who has it, their profit are a function of anything other than their people. I question, I really do question why they started a business in the first place. And I get a lot of people start businesses to make money. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you build a business and employ other people, now you're actually providing a life for those people as well. And without that, you don't have the business. Yeah, no, exactly. It's kind of, they're, they're putting the ordering of the uh, elements there are, are often inverted. What are some of the other things that you, you typically see, you know, companies sort of use techniques, strategies, to try to address some of these things, but that don't work or, or that don't don't go well, you know, kind of things that listeners here might try to do or might see as options, but you caution them against. Well, so metrics chasing. So if if you if your if your company is focused on an engagement score, employee net promoter score, and you're focused on a score, that's a recipe for disaster. The score is meaningless unless there's something to compare it to. And yes, you can compare it to the next score. But if you don't take actions in between those two evaluations, then what is the score worth? And you know, when I say actions, I don't mean saying, oh, listen, everyone, we got a negative 40 on this year's or this quarter's ENPS. And next time you answer, I really need you to think carefully about the experience you have here. And it doesn't really work like that. Or, you know, then telling managers, look, you've got to, it's now on you to make sure the scores are higher. That doesn't really do much. You've got to dig into. So when I say metrics chasing, I mean mm-hmm. Asking questions really for the sake of a score. If you're not willing to take a deeper look and find out where amongst where within the employee experience, the employee journey, people are struggling, where they have an opinion that you know things could improve. If you're not willing to look at that and do something about it, there's no point in asking the question in the first place. Yeah. So I'd say being tied to a score is is one thing. Yeah. Uh, we already talked about just throwing in fancy perks. Fancy perks don't do any of their band aids. They don't. Um, they don't support. I well, think- actually, let's talk about that one a little bit because I, I yeah. I'm always fascinated. Or, or this is it, it comes up quite a bit in, in a lot of the teams that I work with and companies I work with is how much does sort of compensation, sort of the the money side of things, either you know base compensation, bonuses, uh, you know monetary incentives of different ways. Like where where does that apply? Where does it not apply? Where do people? Where can you effectively use it? Where should it not be used? What's your kind of take on sort of motivating through? financial, you know, or financially based metrics or financially based, you know, uh, elements? It's a great question. And, you know, I, I think there, there are a couple of slices of people, individuals, when it comes to compensation and benefits. There are people who want to make enough to live. Mm-hmm. There are people who want to, you know, live comfortably. There are people who want to be very wealthy. And there are even some people who really don't care about that. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the employee experience, the best thing you can do is to find out what people need to feel important because money, in my opinion, when it comes to money, money can serve to make people feel important mm, yeah. or it can serve to make them feel like they don't matter. And really the only question is where do you want people, what, what, how do you want people to feel important or they don't matter? And that's, that's where I see money as a tool because you can use money to recognize people for incredible performance. You can use money to recognize someone's value to the firm, to the company. And I don't think beyond that, I don't think you need to do much else with money. If I had a company that was making hundreds of millions of dollars, I'd always make sure my people are well taken care of. 
And I mean well taken care of. Because if someone sees that they can be taken care of better somewhere else, why would they stay with you? And that's, of yeah. course, where the rest of the experience plays in as well. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I, that one comes up a lot, I find, where there's a difference between money that I use to kind of get the things that I want in life, you know, live a lifestyle. And then there are people that use money to keep score. <laughs> you know, it's kind of right? a, you know, it's like, well, and, and typically, you know, I see a lot, and particularly on the sort of the sales side and things like that, where, you know, at some point it's it's a measurement of success or a measurement of accomplishment, not necessarily a, a lifestyle, you know, I, well, I need this to be happy from a material thing or that, you know, I can afford the place I want to live and the places I want to go to dinner and things like that. And it's just more of a, it's a way I score how well I'm, I'm successful in the in that particular role or in the professional yeah. job that I have. Yeah, and I think that's always like, my six. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, I get. Yeah, I, I hit a certain total compensation, or a certain percentage, or I'm a percentage above something, or I'm I'm percentage based on last year. I mean, it's like a it's a stat more than a than a the actual dollar value worth. Yeah, and that that stat is used in conversations, both personal and professional, right? I mean, I listen. I hate to admit it, but I used to be that way for a very long time. And I think sometimes I still am that way. I tie my value as a person to how much money I've made or how much, you know, what was my gross salary for the uh -huh. year. And that was a very, it was a really tough way to live. Yeah. <laughs> always yeah. tying yourself to the money you make because, you know, there will always be someone who's making more money than you. And what does that mean about you when you find the person who's making yeah. a little bit more? Does that mean I'm less? No, it doesn't. That's, yeah. If you really think about it, Bruce, we don't have conversations about money that are meaningful in most workplaces. It's here's your salary. If anything, it's please don't discuss that with anybody yeah. else. It's yeah. a taboo subject. But what if companies said, hey, look, this is what your salary means to us. You know, it's it's a representation of your performance. It's a representation of what we can afford to pay you. And our intention is that you are always well paid. And we want to know, you know, and we've done the research. We know that in this, you know, this is the average salary for this position in the United States or in this city. So we want to pay you 10% above. Mm -hmm. And everybody's the same. You know, it's so funny. This, this conversation is not an individual, it's not an isolated conversation. When you talk about compensation, then you got to talk about people's experience and how you evaluate what someone makes. And there's a no number of schools of thoughts. But, you know, my personal, one of my philosophies is, well, if two people are hired for the same exact position, the same title, then they should make the same money. Yeah. And if one's better or more qualified than the other, then why are they working in the same position? Yeah. Yeah, we actually, I wrote an article for Inc. on this a while back and it, in my company, at a tech company for many years. And at, at one point, we finally uh, did have, came up with a, a open salary chart, right? And we just, we created a series of scales, different levels, and there were major and minor levels. And they all had, you know, salary, pretty tight salary ranges around them, which we could kind of dial in based on some details. But, and that was open. And, and whether you work there, you're coming to work there. I mean, you basically got that scale that was, you know, you had access to that chart and you knew where you were, you knew what your next role was, you know, you know, you knew roughly where other people were on the track. And it was just, it just kind of it like it, it uh, took that part of it off the table or it took that part yeah. of it out of the conversation. So then we could talk about the other things. And it was interesting. It occurred to a really different dynamic. I mean, it worked. I think there are some things about our business and how we were set up and the nature of the work that we did that made it much easier. But I have worked with several different companies that have played at least at some level of having some kind of open, you know, open salary chart. And it, and it does, it really changes the conversation, I, I generally think, for the better, because uh, you, yeah. you tend to start talking about the things that are, I think are much more important or, or you, that matter a whole lot more. But it's a tough one. We're still, you know, as a, as a community, as a culture, as a society, we haven't quite figured out how to deal with that money side really effectively. <laughs> I laugh only because, you, you know, you nailed it as a culture, right? It's, yeah. it's Money is such a such a topic of controversy in our country, in the world. And 
I think I have some radical thoughts on that in general, and I'll, I'll share it just for the sake of sharing. Generally, I don't know that I understand why we even need it. <laughs> so think about it. Yeah. As an architect, or, you know, yeah. no one needed to pay you to design their building for them. They did because that's the way we do things. Yeah. I pay you, you provide service, but it's possible. And, you know, this is like for me watching Star Trek as a kid, really. Yeah. This is like, you know, it's like, what if you just did things because you could do them? Yeah. But we don't do that. And that's, that's the way we are. But with money, I, I tend to align with what you said. If you're transparent around it, you suck out all the negativity from it. If yeah. I know that I walk in this organization, this is what people are paid. And this is why, like, let's say if I have an MBA, I get an extra $5,000 a year, whatever it might be. If, it's, if that's transparent and, and known, yeah, exactly. well, then I can choose to join that or not. But exactly. it's never obscured for me. It's never hidden from me. It's never something I can really wallow about because I chose it. It's like, okay, I know that this person and I are doing the same exact thing and they spend additional time in education. Therefore, they get this additional bump, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it might be. So I, I do think there's a lot to be said in the world of compensation and benefits and opening up the books so people can really see, all right, this is what's going on. And, and for the employers, why would you ever want to create an environment that could lead to some sort of comparison or people feeling yeah. disempowered because they're not getting what they think they deserve and any of that? And there's so there's transparency really does begin to address it all. And of course, the transparency get a whole slew of other issues. And I'd rather take those issues exactly. than the ones of gossip and all the negative water cooler talk and anything yeah, exactly. result of a hidden non-transparent compensation structure. Yeah, yeah. Um, So if people want to find out more about you, about innovation, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that? Best way to go is to go to my website, www.emovationproject.com. We're working on some things to guide people for first-time visitors. And you should see a big banner that says... uh, Start here. Awesome. That's the intention. Awesome. I will make sure the link is in the show notes. Uh, Danny, it was a pleasure. I always love talking about culture, about engagement. Honestly, I think it's the hardest part of service companies, right? <laughs> like if you, and if you get it right, if you get this part right, everything else is so much easier. Totally agree. Thank you for spending some time today. It's been a pleasure, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bruce. It's been wonderful. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.